Hey, you're listening to Cinema 5000. I'm Mallory, here to talk to you about films I have seen recently and what's going on just in general for me and movies. You know the deal. Um, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you the count of how many movies I have seen on my quest to 5000 movies watched. We're at 4,958 movies, which is that's a, that's a lot of movies since the last episode. Um, I know there were a couple movies here and there that I found on Letterboxd not marked as watch that I have seen, so I did get to mark those. But then again, uh, I have seen a number of films since the last episode, and a quick heads up. This is going to be the um, only episode for possibly a couple weeks because I'm going on vacation and I have no idea what my access to streaming is and how I can watch movies. So I've been trying to download a number of movies on my iPad of stuff that I haven't seen so that I can watch it while I have some downtime or maybe at night um, or, you know, on the plane, whatever. Um, I just know I'm not going to have a lot of priority movie watching time and obviously there's not going to be a movie theater around for me to go to because I'm on vacation and uh why would I even seek that out but yeah I uh I'm just giving you that heads up so it could be it could be two weeks until the ne next episode unless I feel compelled to share while I'm on vacation but don't count on that uh regardless two thousand uh, sorry I have four thousand 958 films watched. That's that's a huge number, and guess what? It's only going to get bigger from here. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about things that I have seen recently. Okay, starting off, starting off with something pretty notable. Um, on September 29th, I watched the new Andrew Dominic film *Blonde*, uh, starring Anna de Armas. Tagline is watched by all seen by none from her volatile childhood as Norma Jean through her rise to stardom and romantic entanglements this reimagining reimagined fictional portrait of Hollywood legend Marilyn Monroe blurs the lines of fact and fiction to explore the widening split between her public and private selves okay so right off the bat fantastic that this summary makes the dis distinction that this is fictional um I had the idea to watch the TV mo movie that Joyce Chopra did of Blonde um, from 2002, I believe, because I was introduced to that uh, as a teenager, and I never saw it. I missed it, but I had always wanted to see it. So then when this came out, I was like, oh, perfect opportunity to talk Blonde versus Blonde, but I didn't get to watch that. So unfortunately, you only have my <laughs> uh, feelings on this version of the blonde story, which, as it says, is fictional. But I have to say, <laughs> as as a film viewer, knowing stuff is fictional, you have to like wonder why would somebody want to tell a fictional account of Marilyn Monroe's life? So it's not really her life, but you're using Marilyn as a substitute for this the story in that the agenda is within the story rather than the agenda of telling her truth because none of this is supposed to be her truth. And then it becomes the uh, strange thing of, you know, we're going to put her through all this horrible shit through this movie for nearly, I think, two hours and 45 minutes. And then you're supposed to, at the end of it, still remind yourself that this is not the real Marilyn Monroe. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird film. For me, I... When it was over, my immediate reaction was, that's it. Uh, 
uh, it never emotionally grabbed me. I will say, like, Anna de Armas is good in the movie. But I thought about it afterwards, after this extremely long film where she goes through tons of horrible things um, in her life. From child abuse, again, this is not the real Marilyn Monroe story. It's Joyce Carol Oates's, you know, taking of her as a figure and then putting her in this fictional story. Um, taking these scenarios that didn't happen and then putting them out there. Um, yeah, it just left me cold. And I like I said, I really liked Anna de Armas, but I can't help but feel like she's going to give a better performance very soon. That's something more memorable than this because, unfortunately, it's such a joyless portrait of this star person. I say star person, this actress, because, again, it's not really Marilyn Monroe, um, but it wants to be. It really wants to be her story because there's these images we are familiar with. It's a really weird conflict in that you're supposed to see this side of her that doesn't exist and also be reminded of Marilyn Marilyn I can't talk Marilyn Monroe, but I find that really frustrating because when I think of Marilyn Marilyn Monroe, I think about how beautiful she was and like how joyous her persona was on screen and every time I saw her in something either in print or in visuals she always had a smile on her face um, I haven't seen like all of her movies I think I sp saw part of the misfits um, but regardless anyway um, I just think of Marilyn Monroe as this like really beautiful part of Hollywood history and that always left such a wonderful impression on me from like when I was little to like even now but then this movie Blonde comes along and it's just like whoa 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 wait it's fictional but she's miserable she cries in like almost every scene there's this thought that she her this version of Norma Jean Marilyn has this like thruple thing happening and scenes that are supposed to seem like sexy and fun just felt kind of creepy to me like she was manipulated into them that's like me watching the movie that leave that up to your own interpretation but I found most of this movie so unpleasant and uh, just not very exciting and not very deep and it's really too bad because there's a number of actors in the film who I think are good actors on any given day like Bobby Cannavale who is just very one note as the Joe DiMaggio figure and Adrian Brody who is fine but he doesn't have a lot to do in this um yeah this just like it just was a big old nothing for me I I love a long movie don't get me wrong I seek out films that are long and challenging and maybe have something to say about history in any kind of sense but to me this just felt like Let's take these horrible things that happen to women every single day and throw them on the Marilyn Monroe image and put you, the viewer, through this horribleness, especially like the crap of her being forced into abortions. And that didn't happen to Marilyn Monroe. And why would I want to experience that in a movie, especially a movie like this that seems to want to be as graphic as possible because it can be? Any regular filmmaker would take out certain shots that this movie includes and spare the audience 
this because we already know what's happening. You don't have to go that extra mile. It just feels gratuitous. Um, it's really too bad because it feels like Andrew Dominic made this movie and Netflix was just like, great, it's fine. We'll take it. We'll put it on there. We don't really give a crap. There's nobody there to say, hey, wait a minute, buddy. <laughs> you took this and you didn't give it any gravitas beyond the scenario um, of what was happening. And like I said, Anna de Armas is good, but she's she's really not as amazing as I think she could have been in the hands of a different director and someone guiding her through the role. Like it's, it's a weird, it's a weird film for me. Um, yeah, it left me cold. I, when it was over, I was just like, and that's all there is. That's, it's just this miserableness. But, um, I know some people like this movie. I know some people hate this movie. I don't think I can hate this movie because it's like, it, there's a, it's just, it's not nearly as terrible as I think it wants to be <laughs> um, in its misery because it just isn't, it isn't well made in some ways. And yeah, that's enough about Blonde. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I feel like everybody, I'll say this, in looking at Letterboxd and who has watched it of my friends because I have been interested to see, you know, who writes reviews that I've watched and friends that I know, like what their opinions are. There is nobody else watching this movie now. Everybody has watched it. Everybody watched it within the first couple days or a week or so of when it came out and now it's forgotten. And I am very interested to see if Anna de Armas's performance like results in her getting nominated for awards anywhere because I just get the feeling that this movie and its impact was just the idea of it being you know kind of intriguing and then it just landed like a wet fart or something like that and it's like what what's its impact as a movie because I know there are people out there that like this movie but the unpleasantness of what this movie depicts like no matter if it was Mar Marilyn Monroe or anybody else or nobody you knew of some random person like how would that play it would play play badly like this is just it's a it's ew yeah it's a big mess um I gave it two stars on letterbox like I just I'm not left with enough negativeness to give it anything lower than that and like I didn't hate Anna Darmus but I didn't think she was like as good as she could be um me talking about this now, I'll admit I like completely forgot about this movie, period. That's why I have this impression that it's really not going to get very far beyond this, you know, realm we're, t we're in right now, this moment, especially for me. But let's move on. Enough about that. Um, <laughs> to start off spooky season, I uh, dove into some uh, horror movies here and there. I had this goal of like watching all the 80s horror movies that the Criterion channel currently has listed because they have a really awesome selection of horror films, 80s specifically. And then they have some Hammer horror films and a bunch of other shit that like, I say shit, awesome shit, like cool shit, like stuff you would want to watch, like that's exciting. But because I'm like gonna be gone away, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to watch all the movies that I haven't seen before from those 80s horror movies like that was my goal to watch all of them that I hadn't seen and now I'm not sure I can but regardless um the first of those that I watched um was the 1980 film from Dario Argento called Inferno which is actually a sequel to Suspiria um 
the tagline says, Before Tenebrae, beyond Suspiria, there is Inferno. A young man returns from Rome to his sister's satanic New York apartment house. All right, kind of an, an incoherent movie. Typical Argento visuals, the giallo shit, you know, wackiness, weirdness. Um, it's a little spooky, but I think the best part of this movie was the ending. Along the way, when it's trying to um, talk about the horror and the things going on and the research that actually goes back to Suspiria, just kind of a mis mishmash. Didn't didn't really work for me, but I know other people out there really love Inferno. Um, but like, if you watch one Argento movie you're along for the ride. If you like Argento, you're not going to be disappointed with this one, especially since it's of the era where he was really doing that fun visual stuff. And even when this stuff was wacky and you didn't know what was going on, it was enjoyable. I'm not saying Inferno's bad. I just didn't think some of it worked for me. I gave it two and a half stars. It's, it's fine. Um, then I went straight into the like same night. I turn on Dead and Buried, the 1981 film that is directed by Gary Sherman tagline is it will take your breath away all of it <laughs> after a series of gory murders committed by mobs of townspeople against visiting tourists the corpses appear to be coming back to life and living normally as locals in the small town so i'm not going to spoil this one um i gave it three stars i'm not saying it's like a fantastic movie but it was fun uh, you might know the actor. <laughs> Let me get to the page so I can tell you his name because I am blanking on it. Um, Jack Albertson. So Jack Albertson, uh, you might know from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the 1971-ish film. Yeah, I want to say it's 71. Um, he plays Grandpa Joe in Willy Wonka and he's in this movie as this mortician, um, who may or may not be doing sketchy shit and I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to say watch Dead and Buried because I found it to be a lot of fun. Um, there's this one character who's like investigating everything going on and he's coming up against like, you know, what is the deal with like this wacky shit going on with dead people? And yeah, Dead and Buried 1981 on the Criterion channel. I definitely recommend it. Um, the next day, outside of the Criterion channel, I have a shit ton of DVDs that I have gotten from grab bags from Bull Moose, like bullmoose.com if you've never been there. Great, awesome way to buy movies and DVDs and video games. But Blue, Bull Moose is a local chain to me here in New Hampshire, so like I can go into a Bull Moose and buy a grab bag for $5 and it'll have 10 DVDs in it. And sometimes it's crappy, sometimes it's great. And I have a number of films that I have never seen before from these grab bags I've bought over the years. And I have a lot of horror that I've gotten from grab bags. So I went ahead and turned on the 2015 film Victor Frankenstein, <laughs> directed by Paul McGuigan. I'm, I know I'm saying that wrong. McGuigan, that seems right. Um, <laughs> discovered the origin of the monster and his creation. Eccentric scientist Victor von Frankenstein creates a grotesque creature in an unorthodox scientific experiment. So this stars uh, James McAvoy as Victor Frankenstein. I'm trying not to say Frankenstein. You know why. Um, <laughs> and then Daniel Radcliffe plays this like circus performer who all of a sudden gets deemed the one and only Igor. 
Um, this is a very, very silly interpretation of the Victor Frankenstein sto story that you may or may not know from the novel by Mary Shelley. Um, <laughs> and he who should not be named is the writer on this one. Ew, disgusting. Um, <laughs> I did like Daniel Radcliffe, um, and his acting in this one. I thought he nailed it. He, like, really knows what kind of movie he's in. He knows how to have fun and also be, like, serious. There's some line deliveries where he's, like, hammy but not quite especially not compared to his co-star James McAvoy as Victor Frankenstein who is total cheeseball in this one um like chewing the scenery ridiculousness like he goes all out and I think he was having a lot of fun but at the same time it feels like it feels like a bit much I wasn't a big fan of this one I think its production design is actually really incredible looking but this movie was a flop for a reason because who wants to see the movie about Victor Frankenstein? You don't. You want to see the creature, and the creature only shows up at the ending of the film. The monster, rather. Um, it's a bit of a silly mess of a film. I don't recommend it, um, but if you want to watch something very cheesy and ridiculous, that's probably up your alley. But then again, if you know who wrote this movie and you don't want to give them a give this money movie excuse me give this movie any of your attention in any sense I totally respect that and I understand truly I only watched it because I had it from the grab bag and it was like well this falls into the spooky season kind of thing so it makes sense to watch it but no 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 <laughs> all right moving on the next movie I watched actually I think I watched it yeah the same night I ended up watching the 2002 film Ghost Ship <laughs> I rated this one star. It's not good. <laughs> the The tagline is "See evil" as in S E A evil. After After discovering a passenger ship missing since 1962, floating adrift in the Bering Sea, salvagers claim the vessel as their own. So then some stuff goes down. It's really silly and bad. Um, it has Juliana Margulies and Gabriel Byrne. Like, whoa, good actors who were in 2002 doing really good notable stuff but they're in this movie and it's bad and it's from Steve Beck he's the same director of the uh 13 Ghosts remake which is absolutely terrible terrible movie oh my goodness Ghost Ship Falls right in line with that one just don't 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 watch Ghost Ship it's bad um <laughs> The uh, next day, I went ahead and watched another movie I had from a grab bag. This was not good either. It's S. Darko, the 2009 sequel of sorts to Donnie Darko, directed by Chris Fisher. Richard Kelly had nothing to do with this movie. Uh, the tagline is, it's time to travel forward. Seven years after her brother's death, Samantha Darko finds herself stranded in a small desert town after her car breaks down where she is plagued by bizarre visions telling her of the universe's end. As a result, she must face her own demons and in doing so, save the world and herself. This movie is a total incoherent mess. It has a lot of ideas about time travel and people, but um, in the story of how it like gets through time travel, it also, also like wants to sacrifice the lives of the people that Samantha Darko knows it's it's really really not a good movie at all it has like Elizabeth Berkley in it too like she's the one notable performer besides DeVay Chase who 
is Samantha Darko from the original film, and you might know her as Samara in the movie of the remake of The Ring. Um, but I don't recommend S. Darko. Like I said, another grab bag movie. I had it. I was like, why don't give it a shot? But oh no, it is so terrible. <laughs> uh, the same night, I went ahead and tried to cleanse my palate with another horror film. This is The Legacy from 1978 directed by Richard Marquand. He's the director of Return of the Jedi, so I was like, okay, if this guy made this movie, it might not be so bad. And it actually stars Sam Elliott and Catherine uh, Ross, and they're a married acting couple, so I was like, how bad could this be? Well, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. The tagline is, it's a birthright of living death, and the summary goes like this. A couple attempts to unravel a sinister plot within the English countryside estate of a dying man who has gathered an eclectic and notable group of house guests. It's a movie that um, is very reminiscent of like the haunting. Like there's something about the house and the people and it's English countryside kind of stuff. But what it's really truly about, like the legacy is about this family history and continuing the terror of these people. It's very supernatural, um, kind of weird and icky gothicy kind of thing um I didn't mind it it wasn't great it wasn't bad it's it's a little cheesy Roger Daltrey shows up at one point as this like wacky dude um <laughs> there's not a lot I can say about it other than um the dying man like wants to possess the body of Catherine Ross's character and you find that out kind of late I bring it up even though it's a spoiler because I think a good like three quarters of the movie you actually have no idea what's going on other than the freakiness and Catherine Ross and Sam Elliott cannot get out of this mansion in this town that they're in after their motorcycle breaks down uh, not a great movie but it's amusing and entertaining and as much as I kind of don't re recommend it I also kind of do because uh you just don't see movies like that these days and this one is successful in some ways but others not it's you know it's it's entertaining. You could do worse. Like, you could watch the next movie I watched, which was the, which was the 2008 remake of The Eye. Again, another movie I had from my just loose DVDs from the grab bags I've been getting. It's directed by David Moreau and Xavier Palud. Um, the tagline is, how can you believe your eyes when they're not yours? Stars Jessica Alba as violinist Sydney Wells. She was in an accident blinded by her sister Helen when she was five years old. She submits to a cornea transplantation, and while recovering from the operation, she realizes that she is seeing dead people. So, as this started out, I actually thought it was okay. Like, I was kind of on board with it. I didn't believe Jessica Alba as this violinist character. It would have made more sense if she was just a regular person. But they wanted to give you something to think about, you know, her abilities and be like, oh, even though she's blind, she's beautiful and she's talented. Um, so she goes to a seeing therapist, a psych therapist of sorts, who's played by Alessandro Novola after her operation to sort of deal with her life as she's like had this transplant and now can see things because it's kind of weird for her. The movie acknowledges that even though she has, you know, gotten these new eyes, um, I'm not sure how realistic this is completely, but it does show her struggling to sort of deal with seeing herself and she's not always seeing things clearly and that's when the dead people stuff comes in and thankfully this movie does have a joke that references 
oh yes, the movie The Sixth Sense about seeing dead people. Um, but once you get to know why this is, is exactly happening to her, um, it's not good. <laughs> Basically, this poor young woman was like killed in Mexico and she uh, was... I want to say she was tortured. I don't completely remember, but it just got really bad when it went to Mexico. It lost the pacing. I think there was like this big freak accident where the girl was killed or something and everybody died. And it's not really Final Destination-y. I don't quite remember, um, which is probably not a bad thing because there's nothing really memorable about this beyond the beginning and Jessica Alba being okay. Uh, yeah, the eye. I haven't seen the original. Um, this doesn't make me want to see the original just because I don't know how much I really buy into that plot, but who knows? What if I come across it one day? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count it out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the eye, the 2008 film. Mm, yeah, it's not great. Uh, a couple days later, I went ahead and found another spookyish film to watch. I was on Canopy. Uh, if you guys don't know what Canopy is, it's a streaming service you can likely get through your library where you get six rentals a month, and uh, there's a, a large array of films from, like, around the world, newer films that are big, newer films that are small, classic films, really good selection. But I went ahead and watched the film Lyle, directed by Stuart Thorndike. It's from 2014, and it stars Gabby Hoffman. The tagline is, a mother should protect her child. A mother's grief over the death of her toddler leads to horror. So as the film starts out, um, her toddler hasn't died yet. It's a spoilerish kind of thing. But uh, this movie really wants to be a takeoff on Rosemary's baby in that she's pregnant and her child dies. So then when it comes to this pregnancy, it's like she's seeing things. It's like the world really what it is. Um, did children die in her apartment? Like she starts to research things because she just moved into this new apartment. And she starts noticing weird things like this older older woman in the apartment complex like talks about her like upcoming pregnancy and she's just like how could that woman have a baby she's like super super old and she starts to question the motivations of like her friends and what's really happening um this was a quick one only 65 minutes almost you know almost not feature length but kind of is I consider anything like over 45 minutes feature length and usually when I go to film festivals and see shorts everything is under 40 ish minutes for shorts um but yeah I think Gabby Hoffman is pretty good in this like I I really bought her character she sold me all the way but I think all the stuff around her doesn't quite convince me it's a good movie and it's too bad because um it could have had a really good setup a good payoff but I just don't think it was there an interesting failure, I guess. Um, it, it just feels like the kind of movie where they had a concept, they had like a basic script, but they could have gone deeper with the material. But like I said, Gabby Hoffman, pretty good in this, and the film is called Lyle. Um, yeah, uh, we only have a couple more movies to talk about. One of them is Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers from 1989. Tagline is, Michael lives... And this time, they're ready. Presumed dead after a shootout with the Haddonfield police, Michael Myers is secretly nursed back to health and returns a year later to kill again and once more targets his young niece, Jamie. Jamie is now recovering in the local children's hospital after attacking her stepmother and losing her voice. Her mental link with her evil uncle may be the key to uprooting her family tree. 
oh no, this was not good. <laughs> I, uh, I liked Halloween 4. I liked the Jamie character who's played, um, by Don- Daniel Harris. Like, she's, she's good. And this one, she doesn't talk a lot of the film because she's still traumatized. And I just felt bad for her because her character, you know, why do, why do we have to have this mental link thing with Michael Myers? And you know he's not going to die because of that. <laughs> um, uh, gosh, uh, Donald Pleasant shows up again as Sam Loomis. It's more the same stuff you get from these, like, Halloween sequels. Um, this is from 1989, so we're talking 11 years after the original film. And the series is taking this turn because Laurie Strode isn't around. Like, the... Yeah, uh, this isn't, this isn't good. <laughs> I, uh, I gave it two stars and just looking at some of the scores from people I follow on Letterboxd, they don't think it's good either. It's like got a 2.2 average. It just isn't, it isn't good. And they have like a scene with like teenagers wanting to party and this and that. And, uh, it's like Halloween and yeah, man, it's just the uh, typical kind of shit. And of course, Michael Myers just kills them all. You don't have any surprises. There's nothing new with this one. It is too bad. Or is it? I don't know. It's a number five in a series. How good can it be? But then again, I liked number four. Thought it was fine. Um, And my last film to talk to you about on this episode. It's the 1941 film, The Wolfman, directed by George Wagner. His hideous howl, a dirge of death. After his brother's death, Larry Talbot returns home to his father in the family estate. Events soon take a turn for the worse when Larry is bitten by a werewolf. So this is a really straightforward, short film, only 70 minutes long. If you haven't seen The Wolfman, I definitely recommend it. I give it three stars. It's not amazing, but um, it's a fun, light film. And you just have the simple tale of a guy getting bitten (laughs) and then turning into a werewolf. (laughs) Um, But the Larry character, oh man, he's kind of a, he's kind of a jackass, kind of a, yeah, I want to do I want to say misogynist? I don't know. It just gives you the creeps. But when this happens to him, um, he turns to the Wolfman. I really like the Wolfman makeup for such an old film. I think they just basically nail it. Just make him hairy, give him teeth, you know. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen that newer Wolfman film with Benicio Del Toro. Um, I, this kind of makes me want to watch it, though I know that's set in like a different time period. I want to say this takes place in like no, not modernish times. That's wrong. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, when it comes to these movies, like The Invisible Man, The Wolf Man, The Mummy, um, have I seen The Old Mummy? Actually, I don't think I have. I have seen The Invisible, the Invisible Man. Like, anything to do with, um, you know, Bela Lugosi, this and that. Uh, you can't really, you can't really hate these movies because they're operating on the level of we want to give you the impact of the horror of the scenario and for what these movies were when they came out they were terrifying to people and that's great uh movies these days will do so much with effects you just get down to the simplicity of like character interactions and the moments of that character showing up on stream screen and being scary to those other people like you just that's all you need sometimes in movies um yeah the wolfman it's only 70 minutes long uh i think i did watch this on the criterion channel but if you want to stream it i wonder if i can see here me wanting to make promises and show you things I'm um, just going to go into Just Watch. If you've never used Just Watch, this is not an advertisement whatsoever. But if you're ever looking for a movie that you want to watch streaming or maybe rent, um, Just Watch is a good app for looking up everything online. So I just looked up The Wolfman. want to give you the idea of where you can watch it. You can watch it on, it says Peacock Premium, 
and the Criterion channel, and otherwise you can rent it for just a couple bucks, you know, Amazon, Apple, YouTube, Google, Google is YouTube right now, I guess, Voodoo, all that stuff, um, but as far as, like, Halloween, like, you can't, you can't beat the atmosphere and the stuff you get with this movie, especially since this is black and white, so it takes place at night, there's fogginess, really good design and production for a movie that is seemingly pretty simple, just the Wolfman, but, um, yeah, that's it for now, wow, uh, as I said before at the beginning of the episode, we're at 4,958 movies, no idea if I will get a couple movies in, well, actually, I say that, I will definitely be watching a movie tonight, so that's at least one movie to talk to you about on the next episode whenever that happens, <laughs> but from there, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with movie watching and this and that, new episode hopefully in two weeks, um, yeah, I'm Mallory. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow along on Twitter, Cinema5K is the Twitter handle. And if you know what Letterboxd is, you can look me up and follow along. Of course, my name is Mallory. And on Letterboxd, it's Mallory with three M's. So M-M-M-A-L-L-O-R-Y. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you later. Bye.